Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for such a beautiful moment in your presence. Indeed, a, court, a day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us as your children through prophecies and through the words of testimonies we have had this morning. We want to plead again that you speak once more to us. As your word comes up forth, we ask that you meet us at the very point of our needs to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. When you shall see all these things, know that it is near. Matthew chapter 24, verse 32. Matthew chapter 24. Verse 32 and 33. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and pulls forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, Know that it is near at the doors, at the very doors. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 24 and also Matthew chapter 25 is what in theology we call eschatology. And that is trying to tie scriptural events and prophecies to events of our contemporary times, particularly with regard to the end of all things. I'm not an expert estatologist in terms of knowing in depth how to tie CNN news and basic Bible events. But we have a common platform where we can all operate this morning that the bigger picture before us is that even in all that we have and even in all that the blessings we have received we don't belong here. Praise the Lord. As the clock is ticking, there is something that is happening, and that is we are gradually drawing near to the close of all things. And may I inform us this morning that we are actually nearer than we can ever imagine to the close of all things. If we look at the book of Daniel thoroughly and tie it with the scriptures before us this morning, and a few other pockets of revelations in the book of Revelations, we don't need to disturb ourselves too much in trying to convince ourselves again that indeed all the prophecies that are telltale signs to the end of all things have all happened before us. And um, the matter of fact, we are just waiting for the return of Jesus. Praise the Lord. So my 
concerned this morning is not a theological exercise. Because I don't think that will help us much. I want to look at definite things in the scriptures we have read that has to do with our main theme for the year, and that is prepare to meet with your God. Every man that will meet with God must have a level of preparation. And it is lack of this preparation that is creating a lot of high level of spiritual casualties among children of God in our own time. My job this morning is cut out. I just want to hold three things in the scriptures before us and we'll look at two more scriptures and then we'll begin to pray. Now I would like to start this discussion really from verse 1 of chapter 24. I will see how this information from Jesus generated in the first place. In verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Praise the Lord. This story began with an event, a discourse between Jesus and his disciples. They have just entered the temple and they look at NIV, the picture is painted clearer. They were actually walking out of the temple. Both Jesus and the disciples. But if you look at that story, you will have a scenario, a picture like the disciples stayed back and were admiring the beauty of that temple. They were consummated with admiration of the beauty of that temple, built by Solomon. The beautiful, magnificent temple. And so, at the height of the admiration, they didn't want to keep that excitement to themselves. So, they went and called the attention of Jesus, who was also his way walking out of the temple. I said, come. Can't you see how beautiful this temple looks like? Such a beautiful temple, well decorated with several pillars. If you see the picture of this temple, it, I mean, it's such a beautiful, magnificent temple. But Jesus looked at them and said something that is critical before us this morning. He said, you see this temple? Not one stone will be left upon another. 
It was bad news for the disciples. Not one stone will be left upon one another. There was nothing wrong with the temple. But for Jesus, particularly in the light of the end of all things, everything was wrong in the obsession of the beauty of the temple. Jesus knew what it was, he was doing because he had looked at the heart of the disciples and have seen their obsession for the physical edifice of the temple. They were not admiring the quality of worship or the church. And I hope you know, this is not the church. You are the church. There was a misplaced interest in the heart of the disciples. They were admiring the physical structure. And Jesus got worried about that. And he said, listen, this thing you are admiring, this thing you are praising, this thing that you are obsessed, obsessed with, this thing your passion is on, not one single stone will be left upon another. And I think God wants to start with us on this this morning. If we are to effectively journey successfully to the very end of all things. And so we are not just looking at the temple in context. When you go to Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10, I want to show us something. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it. Praise the Lord. Both the earth and the works, and the works that are in it. What will happen to them? What will happen to them? What will happen to them? I have a concern this morning. And that is a very deep concern in the heart of Jesus as he was addressing the disciples. Obsession with physical things. That was their major problem. They suspended their journey. This was happening just two days to Passover when Jesus will die. They suspended their journey, admiring physical structure. And Jesus needed to strike a very serious information, particularly with regard to the end of all things. He says, what you are looking at, what you are Spending your energy on is already packaged for destruction in advance. And may I inform us that everything we see in this earth and all the works in it are reserved for what? For fire. If God gives you understanding into this fundamental revelation, I think you are 50% close to heaven. 
Other things will take care of itself. Because the crisis of a contemporary church is primarily obsession to physical things. Obsession to physical things. And I want to thank God for this church. Because I can't really remember when I preached this kind of gospel last. I'm very busy by the grace of God, ministering in several places. For the past four years, I have had concern the kind of meetings I'm being invited to. And the topics I'm asked to preach. Today, our churches have turned to business schools. MBAs are taught from the pulpit. So it's either an entrepreneurship seminar or how many keys to success seminar or something that has to do with our very life here on earth. They are not primarily a big problem to God. But there is a subtle seduction that has this Primary goal and interest in taking our eyes away from the end to this end. May I inform you that even for that your house which you are obsessed in, what will be its end? Fire. But I inform you that even that your new car you're obsessed with, what will be his end? Fire. I never knew how much I was obsessed with my car. Sometime in the year 2000, I preached in different meetings and one day I was standing on the sun going to another meeting and I cried to God, please, I need a car to help me do this God's work. And I got a Mercedes-Benz car, Mercedes 200. Where Mercedes used to be the happening car in Nigeria. I got it so early. After my medical education, I was ready. I finished my youth service. And then I was uh, working in the university in Abiyokuta. And my brother gave me a Mercedes car. And I got the Mercedes car. And the second day I, bought it, I got it, I packed it outside. I was so upset with that car. Each time I go and check whether there is dust anywhere on the body. I will clean it up. And one morning I was having beautiful moments in God's presence. A very beautiful quiet time. And a car started outside. Zoom. I continued my prayer. The car did again. Zoom, zoom. I said, ah, is this not my car that I just bought that somebody started? And God was testing my heart with that car. By the time the car... Do zoom, zoom, zoom again. I told God, please, can we suspend this meeting? I needed to go and check something. Praise the Lord. I kept my Bible outside and I ran outside. And I looked. It was another neighbor's car. Praise the Lord. When I came back, I felt sorry for myself. With all I know in God, and several years of service to God, it just dawned on me how much my heart could be tied to physical things. I repented before God. 
I ask God, please, take my, my heart away from your blessings that you have given to me. If I'm to effectively run this race to the end, I need to die for even the blessings that you have given to me. Eventually, many years after, Coppers, NCCF people, they came to my house for a council visit. And uh, they spoke about the mobility problem and all that. I went outside I was after consulting with my wife. I gave away that Mercedes-Benz car with ease. And one of the days as they were going to go after it was at a hospital, the car caught fire and became a burnt offering unto God. Praise the Lord. So the car didn't even wait for the end of all things. He burnt by himself. You see that sea of home? It's a matter of time. No single block will be left on another. Your certificates, no single block will be left on another. I want to bring us to grade one understanding this morning. Where we are beginning this journey. If we are to run this race effectively. Onoka was sharing something about the rot in the, in the government. We have a big crisis in our hands. And just imagine the amount of people that are in church this morning. If all of us will represent God in our various locations, Enugu will be where, Nigeria will be where. Ministry of Lands, I went to do a business, and the woman was asking me for 30,000 naira bribe. I was very reluctant, I said, I can't give you this money. And luckily for me, I look at the, at the, at the wall, Mother's Union, Anglican Communion, Enugu Diocese. Hanging. I said, Madam, are you Ndine Mama? Are you from Mother's Union? Say, of course, not from our church. And for your information, I'm a people's warden in the Anglican church. Say, what? Me, people's warden? For that, I removed 10,000 from the bribe. <laughs> Beware of covetousness. Just Jesus speaking. For the life of a man does not consist on the abundance of his possessions. We have a crisis in our hand. And if I stop this meeting, this preaching now, I have delivered my message this morning. God needs to do, deal with your obsessions. What are you obsessed with? I know people who are obsessed with promotion. They can do anything. I've had people sit in their room and produce papers which they never saw any, no research done. Christians, the competitive spirits among the children of God, particularly in competition with the world, is a big matter and a big body in the heart of God. And I pray that if God will kill these obsessions, we are talking about the end. You can't run the way you are running. You are too big. You are carrying so much load. You need to decongest. You need to be light if you are to run well. You need to ask God to kill so many things that have taken your love away from God into some other things. And I pray that God answers that prayer this morning in Jesus' name. When we look at the next verse, because I'm going to jump from there and then we'll return and we'll pray. The Bible says in the book of Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. 
Now as he sat on the Mount Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of, of the age? They came to him privately and asked questions. They came to him privately and asked questions. And all we see, Jesus said in chapter 24 of Matthew and chapter 25 of Matthew was a direct response to that question. The disciples asked and Jesus responded. So all we know about these scriptures are simple response to simple questions. And it got me thinking about the content of our discourse whenever we are in privacy with God. I have noticed in the scriptures that all the heavy mysteries that Jesus taught in the word of God, we are all in response to questions. After teaching, the disciples will always come by the and say, please, what is the meaning of this parable? And you begin to teach. Even though the famous lost prayer was in response to a request by the disciples. Say, come, we have seen you pray, teach us how to pray. And we saw a spiritually minded 12 people who will always ask the right question at the right time when they are in privacy with Jesus. So they will document all Jesus' response to those questions. And that brings us to attitude generally. Because one leads to the other. Whatever your treasure is, that is where your heart will be. Majority of us have our treasures here on earth. We have our interests here on earth. We have all that we, we labored for here on earth. And those things, I can tell you, they are temporary, they will not last. Either they go in your lifetime or they go immediately after your death or they go at the end of all things. Last week I was informed that Aaron Nkocha has 76 houses, a direct product of his labor on earth. And his own child sold 75 of them. The only one remaining was the one in the village. In an attempt to sell it, the ego in cabinet intervened. Say, so you can't sell this house. It's an OB. And so this is what men labor for. Praise the Lord. About see the disciples come to Jesus, they will always ask the right question. The content of their discourse is spiritually loaded. And most of Jesus' teachings comes as the response to those questions. May I ask you what you do in privacy with God? Because it simply betrays where your interest is. When last did you actually come before God to ask genuine spiritual questions? Things that borders on your life as a Christian and your service to God, particularly as the time is rolling up. I want to leave us with that to be thinking about. But we saw the disciples came privately to Jesus and said, Tell us, when will this thing even happen? When will the end of all things come? And Jesus began to speak. Verse 4, he said, take heed that no one deceives you. Praise the Lord. And that brings us to chapter 4, about deception of our, verse 4, about deception of our time, 
And in verse 24, Jesus spoke, For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive you, if possible, even the elect. I'm rounding up. If between these scriptures, Jesus has spoken about lawlessness and the love of many waxing cold and the several things that will happen to show us that the end of all things is close and Jesus Christ is indeed coming. But there are critical things that we must keep our eyes on. And that is the ministry of the false prophets. I know for some of us who are in the ministry realm, we are worried. Particularly for these young ones, some of them who are interested in this church, that will eventually live here to go elsewhere. Sometimes in UNTS chapel, where we mentor young people, we get worried where they are going from there. Because I can tell you, there are wolves everywhere on Castle. False prophets, false ministers, all over the places, fulfilling scripture of the end time. Never in the history of mankind or in Christendom have we had a number of false prophets that we have in fulfilling scriptures. They are brethren, born again, Holy Spirit filled. What makes you a false prophet is not that you are a Christian in the time past. You will see false unbelievers wearing white in the morning, hitting bell along the road, prophesying all manner of things. Those days are gone. What we now have is sophisticated false prophets. Wearing proper suits, with a proper building like this, and a very big signboard, and something that looks like a church, and they are there in deception, leading so many to hell. And the Bible said that even the elect, those who have been predestined, nurtured, packaged for heaven, will likely also be victims of false prophets. So somehow we stay in this church, we are comfortable. But we are afraid if somebody is transferred from here to Lagos. We, can, we can't trust the quality of what we hear from the pulpit. Messages are distorted for personal gains. And so many things are said that you cannot tie with the genuine word of God that we originally know. Several years ago, I attended a church with my wife, far in the north. We have gone there twice, looking for a sound church to attend. And we ran into this Pentecostal church. We sat down in that church and the pastor, a very young man, jumping up and down at the pulpit. Towards the close of the service, he came out and said, he has a concussion. He brought it out. He said he had been praying on top of this construction for many days in fasting. Next Sunday we should bring our pictures to church. He's going to anoint our pictures. Not also our pictures. After anointing the pictures, you take it and hang it in your shop. If you have a shop, if you have an office, hang it. Wherever you hang it, money will come. Prosperity will come. That he has a mandate from God to release millions from this church. Millionaires are made from this church. And then, as soon as he said that, my wife came close to me to whisper something. I also returned, coming close to say, whisper that it is time to go home. I, I was not sure the Knife Fellowship Christian Union. There are things I am loaded enough, immunized sufficiently to resist external invasions like this. 
With this split second, while others are celebrating over the pastor's announcement, two of us were on our way out of the church. We cannot sit under this pastor. He is a false prophet. They are everywhere. How do you know false prophets? Jeremiah chapter 23, I'm rounding up. And I want us, as we open our radios and television to listen to men of God preach in several gospel stations, we need to be careful. Jeremiah 23. How do we know false prophets? You know, this today's service has made things easy for me. I'm jumping because so many things I needed to see have already been said. 23 verse 16. God says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. What do they do? They make you how? Worthless. They speak a vision of their own hearts. Not from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 17, that they continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the test of his heart, they will say, no evil shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? I have perceived and heard his word. Who has marked his word? and heard it. Praise the Lord. Do you see what the false prophet looks like? Can you tie it with what we have in our current generation? They are everywhere. What you are hearing this morning is cast. What you are hearing, no same Pentecostal church will put this as a thing for the year. No contemporary Pentecostal church will put this as a thing for the year. No same pastor who he has interest in growing membership eh, and making more money will put this thing prepare to meet thy God. It's a matter of two or three months. Many will deserve that church. And so what makes a prophet a false prophet? He takes microphone and stands before the people and that's why today, this morning, politicians are in several churches and they are comfortable. So you see a minister sitting down, House of Rep member sitting down, Senator sitting down, those who are looting our resources, destroying this country. The man of God lifts his hand and says, It is well with you, the false prophet. And by so doing, you make people feel good, but before God, you are processing them to be what? Worthless. People will make noise. I have attended church where people will make noise and be blowing whistle inside church. So much noise and whistle. Baby, 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 some carry vuvula to church. Up. Excitement. Only one man is not happy. God in heaven is not happy. And that is the clear picture of what the church looks like. The church that is preparing for the end of all things. Is this happening? It is a crisis. And I pray that God helps us. 
And so in our journey to the end of all things, we need to be wary of false prophets. Even the very elect may be a casualty. We need to be proactive. Paul writing to a Colossians church says that you sh- we should do what? We should, allow the, we should allow the word of God to richly dwell in us. It's a time you have to fortify yourself with what you know, the gospel. There are so many gospels and there is one, the gospel. Originally delivered into our hands, undiluted. That's what the Bible says we should contend for this faith. Hold what you know strong. In the midst of so many noises, you will stand in Jesus' name. You will make it to the end in Jesus' name. And so we close as we return to Second Peter. Chapter 3. Remember, Jesus was talking about observing things that are tell signs to the close of all things. Second Peter chapter 3. If you look at Second Peter chapter 3, really, and you started from, you know, somewhere, um, in verse 3, you will see again Peter trying to bring us to the matters of the last days. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own laws and saying, where is the promise? We're not going into that. But when he came to verse 14, he said something, and that's where we'll be closing. Therefore, beloved, <laughs> Now, looking forward to these things, praise the Lord. What are these things? All the things we have seen discussed from verse 3 to the end. Remember, the scripture is consistent. In verse 10, Peter was reminding us that in the day of the Lord, you will come like a what? A thief in the night. Jesus is coming soon. He's going to come when we do not expect him. Sometimes someone will say that... Uh, um, the scripture was talking about in that place where we read in Matthew that it will be like the day of uh, Noah when uh, people are given to marriages and they are getting married. And a friend of mine said that he suspects that Jesus will come on a Saturday. Praise the Lord. <laughs> on the day many people are doing weddings. So every Saturday he will be keeping vigilance, particularly on Saturdays. Praise the Lord. But that is not true, of course. But there are several things Peter said before he came to verse 14. He spoke about the time Jesus is coming, hastening about his coming, and the, the things of this earth and the heaven being dissolved by fire. And in verse 14 he said, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent. Hallelujah. Be diligent. To be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And as he says, to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. We're talking about preparing to meet God. And the criteria is very clear before us. I was marking scripts recently, final MBBS scripts. And uh, I sometimes I saw, I, I stumbled into a particular candidate what he was writing as an answer to a question asked. It was obvious to me he has set a new question for himself and is answering. And of course he will score zero. God's criteria of successfully arriving at the end is clear. It's not ambiguous. 
And whenever I come to this scripture, I get afraid for myself. And now if he says, at that time you should be found. You should be found spotless. Anytime God shows up, you should be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. If you are actually looking forward to this. And the problem is that we are not really looking forward to this. The matter of looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ is a big crisis for us. Because the, 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 the routine pulpit of our church today is preparing us for a life here on earth. Praise the Lord. Do you understand what I've just said? Nobody is looking forward to Jesus. It's some person who said Jesus, he said, Jesus Christ, he better stay longer. No way for Charlie Menaka and Mesro. Praise the Lord. We often have interested. Even if ever. Are you looking forward? The Bible says, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, Therefore, be surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that easily begets us, doing what? Looking unto who? Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, even death on the cross. Theologically, the only impetus, the energy, the stamina, Jesus Christ survived the crisis of that cross was the fact that he was looking forward to something. If your eye is on eternity, your life will be different. I am not making missing my word here. If your eye is on eternity, your attitude to life will be different. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. You need to convince yourself of this every morning. As you go to work, remind yourself you are on transit. By the grace of God, I have traveled out of this country many times. And I can't remember myself doing any permanent investment anywhere. I traveled recently, and my uncle said I can buy a house in New Jersey. I said, I will not buy a house in New Jersey. I want to buy the one I'll be seeing every day. Praise the Lord. I can't invest here. I am on transit. It's a matter of time I would live here. That is the mentality of a sojourner, of a pilgrim. And that is what we all lack. So I now have done every money you are hustling. To make ends meet that we never meet. You are competing with the world. You are being seduced into the matters of this world. One week we pass and no spiritual revelation comes to you as a Christian. You have a best fundamental problem. You need help. He said in that scripture, if you are looking forward to this, you have to be found. I got now. At any point God shows up, you should be found spotless. Spotless. Each time I see that scripture, I have fear in my heart. I went to a minister somewhere. I think it was an NCCF uh, um, the last day in the camp. And as soon as I entered my car, Holy Spirit just told me, the story you just told on that pulpit was an exaggeration. And I quickly pack the car and ask God for forgiveness. Praise the Lord. Is it possible for me to go and convince them and tell them now that that story I told them 
was an exaggeration. It was a real story, but it was exaggerated. And I needed to repent from it. Jesus speaking, he says, Covet not the office of a teacher. For those who teach, how will they be judged? Much more strictly. So, at the end of all things, an announcement will be made in heaven. If you have ever taught in your life, go decide. Then if you have never been, if you have never taught in your life before, go decide. If I take that scripture by context, it means the parameters that God will use to assess every man that ever stood to teach others will be different. That's what the scripture says. And several years I heard that one brother was calling that his name was, didn't appear on the program list of a church. I say, God have mercy on you. Several times I receive an invitation. I look at it and be looking at my life. Praise the Lord. And if God has said, please brother, I don't think I will preach. I will not come because I am yet to settle this same topic with myself. Praise the Lord. Spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And that is where we are this morning as we close. Are you spotless? Are you blameless? Are you at peace with him? If God is to show up this morning, are you spotless? Are you blameless? Are you at peace with him? I want to thank God for you. You are a big brother, well respected. You even be a clergy, a teacher in Bible study. A big uncle, mentoring young people, holding office, men, fellowship leader, and all that. May I ask you again, if God shows up this morning, are you spotless? Are you blameless? Are you at peace with him? As we close this morning, I would like us to pray from one scripture. And I would like all of us to open it with me. And we pray directly from the life of a man, Judges chapter 16, and then we pray. Judges chapter 16. How do we run this race to the end successfully? The end is near. How do we run this race successfully to the very end? Judges chapter 16. If you are there, can I hear a big amen? amen. Verse 16. The word of God says, And it came to pass, when she pestered him daily with her words, and pressed him, so that his soul was vexed to death. Verse 17. That he told him, that he told her all his heart, and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God, from my mother's womb. If I am shaving, then what will happen to my strength? My strength will leave me. And I shall become what? Weak. And be like any other man. Verse 20. The Bible says in verse 20, And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before, at all that times, and shake myself. But he did not know. That the Lord had departed from him. Shall we stand up in God's presence?
as we pray. Three people are Nazarites for life in the entire scriptures. We have three. Nazarite vow is a vow of consecration. A Nazarite does not cut his hair. A Nazarite does not take alcohol. A Nazarite does not touch dead bodies. It's a vow. It's a temporary vow for most Jews. Some of them lasting for seven days, for 14 days, 21 days, three months. Three people were Nazarite for life in the Bible. Samson, Samuel, and the Rechabites. And the call that we are called into our Nazareth is the call of Nazareth for life. Peter writing himself for your royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. If you lose your consecration, you will lose strength. Nothing weakens a man like sin. Your strength is tied to your consecration. Your capacity to run, the stamina, the energy to run this race is tied to your consecration. Any day you leak consecration, you will leak strength. Any day you lose consecration, you will lose strength. And this morning I want us to pray for ourselves. For some of us, our prayer this morning will be, Father, let my hair grow again. On the last of a strange woman, Delilah, a man packaged to be a deliverer of a country died in such a shameful manner in the hands of the enemies. He became a casualty. Oh, can you talk to God this morning? Very simple prayer. Father, strengthen my consecration. I want to go to heaven. I want to make it to the end. I want to be spotless. I want to be blameless. I want to be at peace with you. Do you have problem with materialism? Do you have problem with obsession with money? Are there things contending and competing with God in your life? Can you come before God right now and pray? Ask God to transform you. Ask God to cause your hair to grow. Some of you here are casualties already. Wounded in the field of this battle. God is here to recover you. God is here to renew you. God is here to bring healing to your spiritual life again. Can you ask God for help? Ask God that I want my hair to grow again. I want my strength to return. I want my consecration intact. I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we want to thank you for your word that has gone forth. Father, indeed, we need your grace in times like this. Father, we pray, oh God, that you will strengthen us in the inner mind to finish this race, oh God. Father, oh God, we ask this morning that the grace, oh God, you are to walk to the earth to look and to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus shall be our portion this morning. Lord, may you help us. Lord, may you put in us. Lord, may we not be a castaway at the end. Lord, may your power rest upon us mightily in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father. 
Thank you for our brother you have used to exalt us this morning. Lord, we pray that you will quicken him. May you use him, O oh God, in the body of Christ, O oh God, to call back the blasting, O oh God, to call back people, O oh God, who have stayed away. Lord, may your anointing, O oh God, continue to rest upon him. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you praise, we give you all the glory. For in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed.